good RevOps person should be able to see, it's like, hey, just want to let you know, we've got an issue here in how this data is being collected. Or, you know, looking at on the worst case, they caught a rep that's essentially um, uh, inflating their numbers by taking advantage of some loophole in the system. So... Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales and the growth that we experience in the process. I'm Brad Siemens. On today's episode of Decision Point, joining Brad will be Callan Harrington. Callan is the CEO of Flash Growth. Flash Growth is a consulting and fractional executive company that helps startups and scale-ups achieve sustainable growth from seed to exit. For more information on Flash Growth, head on over to flashgrowth.com. So we'll go ahead and just open open the floor up and tell us uh, how you got to where you're at. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I started out my career in at, at, at Northwestern Mutual, and a lot of people did. They went through their their internship program, and you know, I think I told people for years I was a financial advisor, but the reality was, you know, I was selling insurance, um, and I learned a ton. I think kind of the first thing that hit me there was. Just this whole idea of the fact that sales as a career, I just didn't see a lot growing up. Um, so uh, when I first got into it, that's what just kind of expanded my mind to so many different things. Like I love doing this, um, but I didn't, uh, I didn't know that was really a, a thing at all. Um, and pretty quickly after getting into that and, and realizing all that, um, I love the company, the sales training, you know, it gets rated as one of the top year after year and for good reasons, phenomenal sales training. Um, but uh, I had this itch to, to, to try to do this a different way. So I, I left, started my own uh, agency and selling over a digital fashion. So as opposed to doing, you know, business to consumer and more of a field sales model, uh, I was doing business to consumer and an inside sales model. This was really early into that um, working Digital leads, which was the antithesis of everything that we were taught um, at the previous company. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the train? You mentioned that it was a great training program. What was it that made it so great? I mean, everything from the mindset. What what they did a great job of was really helping you understand the numbers as a salesperson. Um, And you know, I still and it's funny. Most cities still hold up, right? Ten three one. I needed to get. 10, 10 um, uh, referrals and three were going to meet with me. You know, I'd close one and I would close 1.33 over three years. It's ridiculous. I still remember these numbers like the back of my hand. Um, and uh, and just like, what that would look at, like, how many you've got to do 40 calls a day, two qualified prospects in order to set 15 meetings in a week. Um, and I just remember these over and over and over again. So, so many of these things were were, were drilled into my mind. And I thought, you know, this would change dramatically when I got to, you know, doing B2B SaaS enterprise and, you know, working very large deals. By and large, 80% of what I was taught at Northwestern Mutual still held up in any of the other sales roles that I did. So um, I just learned a, a, an absolute ton there. Now, I feel like there's the numbers are under attack. I mean, at least on LinkedIn, you know, like there's a, I do feel like there's a push towards like not trying to focus on the numbers. What do you think about that? Well, I think there's two parts of it, right? I think there's an attack on holding reps accountable to activity. 
Um, and there's, there's an attack on, it, it just gets into kind of the whole personalization versus, um, uh, you know, playing the numbers game and going after as many as you can in, in order to get it. There is no right answer, in my opinion. And I think it's so dependent on, and I hate to give an it depends type of, of answer, but it really matters. Um, if you've got a hyper-focused um, market, it's going to be hard to, you just, you can't, you can only put up so many numbers, right? And those are usually going to be really spe specialized or really high ticket sale. Um, and it is going to have to be more, I mean, I think of in that world, I think of more of your traditional advertising agency, right? It's so relationship-based. Um, but if I'm looking at, you know, selling a particular product to SMB, you're going to have to put up mass numbers. There's just no two ways around it. So um, the numbers to me are always going to be uh, critical because it's not even so much just the volume numbers. It's going to be your conversion rates and which parts are breaking down as part of that sales cycle. Well, I got us. Sorry, I didn't mean to get so. So I got us a little derailed, but you hit that. I thought if I come back to it later, it might be harder to talk about. So, so you had this great <laughs> training experience. You move in. You move into another career. So you're you're out selling B two B, and then at some point, look, I think we talked about this um, like a week or so ago. At some point, you start your own business, right? Yeah. So I was um, at, at uh, I was at a company called the the Shipyard, and we. We within there we formed this SaaS company, um, and and Shipyard was a was an advertising agency still around. It's a great company, and um, we we formed a company called Smart Harbor, um, and we did this. It was originally an enterprise account that we 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 worked in the insurance space. We worked with a very large insurance carrier, and we created a, a SaaS product for their individual insurance agencies out in the field. And we started getting some real traction on that. So what we did is um, we spun Smart Harbor out there. Myself and a couple others were, were the co-founders on, on that end. Um, so we had this, uh, we had this uh, base of agencies in, in which to grow with and, and a couple of customer success people. And then, yeah, we scaled that and, and, and sold that to a private equity company. Awesome. Um... And then, and then from from there, how do you get into what you're doing today with Flash Growth? Yeah, so so Flash Growth, we're a um, a consulting and, and fractional executive company. Yeah, it's interesting because, and I've said this, and I almost hate saying it, but I, I wasn't planning to get into a services business whatsoever. I wasn't planning. I my goal was to get a, a do exactly what we did at at Shipyard and use uh, a services-based business, a very high cash flow business to uh, invest in a SaaS company or an insure tech. Um, and, I, and I knew I, had, I, could, I could get a couple of, or at least I had confidence. I'll put it to you like that. I actually quit without having anything. <laughs> I needed to just straight up push myself into the deep end and see if I could swim. I, I knew I had to do that because I was so terrible at trying to build a business on the side. And I know it works for so many people, but I am not one of those people. Um, but uh, I was confident I could get a couple, probably overconfident, um, that I could get a couple consulting agreements to start to build that cash flow and then build a um, build a SaaS or an insure tech model because that's largely my career I've been in. And I ended up falling in love. I, I mean, it's funny because I heard so many people were like, you're, I don't think you're going to like consulting. It's, it's, I, it's just, I don't know if you're going to, because I like to go really deep in things, but I found 
I loved it. I've really, really, really enjoyed it. It's hard to believe it's already been seven months from starting the company. I, I mean, it feels literally like a couple of days, but um, uh, it, it, it's been an absolute blast. But I mean, really, it's um, it's a culmination of all those different experiences that I was able to have. And, um, you know, I, I say it all the time. You learn so much from I, I, I'm going to learn it 100 times more from doing something wrong than from doing something right. And, you know, you're going to do a lot wrong in a startup over and over and over and over again. So you just hope to do, (laughs) you hope to learn from some of those mistakes in each one. And then as a culmination of it, being able to start flash growth, I think when starting to work with some of these companies, I can see some of those areas where, you know, it's just more clear in building that process around how do we go about doing those to help them make less mistakes and really more importantly to uh, just not drop the ball in some areas that that, that are pretty common. Now, I know that you're uh, kind of early into the flash growth, kind of in the first year, but what are you seeing as the first mistakes that you're seeing your clients make or over the, um, or, or a common mistake that you're seeing clients make around sales or misconceptions? Yeah. However you want to think about it. Yeah, absolutely. So my, my primary target um, is, or I should say my primary client um, or my ideal customer profile is, is is an early stage venture backed company. So typically that's going to fall late seed series A. So somebody that has product market fit um, and is now looking to scale that. And I think the biggest mistake, and this gets talked about quite a bit, but I've lived it personally and I'm happy to share the story, but um, is you bring on a, you know, a VP of sales or a head of sales or a CRO too early and their skill sets may not match with uh, either two things. One, where the company's at just as a company in the life cycle of a company, or two, their core competency doesn't match the go-to-market for um, for the actual company. And if you hire that person too early, you may not know what your real go-to-market is. So that was actually kind of the driving factor I didn't do that on purpose. It just made a lot of sense where fractional can make a ton of sense um, until you really have that all fleshed out. So getting the ability to have that experienced person flesh that out uh, for the company itself uh, and then putting, helping them put the right person in there that matches the skill set of the go-to-market that's being executed. Um, talk a little bit about what, you know, when you think about CROs um, or you think about vice president sales, what are the different kinds? And then which, which kind of, which kind do you need for what type of company? I don't know if we've got enough time to go through all of them, but, uh, <laughs> Pick a couple. Um, but what do you think? So let's, let's start with CRO, right? Um, and CRO, it's a tough one because CRO can be kind of a catch all, right? It could be somebody that was, um, uh, a good sales leader and just handles sales. And it's just, that's a natural because chief sales officer really doesn't get used. And, and CRO is really just, um, it's a it's a more clean title, right? And it sounds more prestigious, but the reality is what they're actually doing could mean a couple of different things. Um, a CRO could handle sales and marketing, or they could, um, if you think of it in its purest sense, a CRO should handle the life cycle of the customer. The um, handling that from the, uh, the sales side or the marketing side, the sales side and the customer success side. Um, and when you get into, let's look a little bit more granular at the VP of sales in, in, in particular or head of sales, uh, 
you know, if you think of the different skill sets, it could be, uh, for instance, enterprise. Somebody is a rock star at enterprise. That's not always going to translate to SMB. If you're a rock star at SMB, that may not translate to mid market and uh, and and enterprise. If you're a rock star at outbound, you may not be that great at inbound. If you're a rock star at inbound, you may not be that great at at, at outbound. Um, and then you can go into more nuance as far as inside sales, field sales, um, and the like. And and then the, you know the last thing I'd say is, is different stages of different companies um, demand a different type of executive. And you know I see it. I've seen it for years in the SaaS world. You know what can get you from zero to one is different. What's going to get you from yeah. one to ten, and ten to fifty, and fifty to one hundred? They're they're going to be very different, different. skill sets. Yeah. And I think it's really difficult as you're growing, you know, that you're bypassing that you're that who you're going to hire today. You're hiring that person knowing that they're not going to be able to do the job at the next level. That's exactly right. Yeah. I and, and I advise all the time, you know, have somebody that could do the job today. Give them that opportunity to be able to grow into it. But the expectation that that may not happen. Yeah, but I think that's good. I think that's good insight. Because yeah, it's in in and it's tough because a lot of these are they're going to sell you know we, you know we want you to grow right into this well that's not always the case and that's okay but if they know they've got the opportunity to be able to do that and they really are are working on themselves and with mentors and different programs that are out there then you know it's possible that they they will be able to do that it's, and they're probably going to be able to do it someday if they're very growth they've got a growth mindset and really want to do that. Um, but they may not. I, I I know plenty of people that love working early stage companies, right? So they're there from um, seed or series A or B, and then they'll check out at series uh, C or D, and then they'll go and, and do it at another company. It's just a, the area that they love to play in. Yeah. No, I think those are great. I think those are great insights. Um, what are some of the other, you know, is there anything else that you're like particularly, you know, as you're in this space that you're particularly passionate about or you find yourself talking about um, continually? I, I I get into the process really heavily. I'm very, very, very process oriented. And I think it's so important to have a strong process and have really strong RevOps. Um, I think RevOps has been, it's been growing. It's catching on more. It's more buzzworthy. And, you know, just a few years ago, I, I would I would constantly have to justify, you know, the spend that we would put in in RevOps. And it's one of those things where, um, you know, if I left a company and then they didn't want to uh, either the RevOps person would um, jump or follow uh, and and they would try to go without it, it, it almost without fail. Um, that's when they would realize that once that pain set in, it's like, OK, this this position does way more than we thought. I think it's arguably one of the most important positions. And when I take a when I take a position, it's almost guaranteed that's the first um, one that I'm I'm bringing on. And then, are you finding so? What so great topic? So let's talk let's talk about RevOps and let's talk about the the roles that, that make up RevOps. So are you? And I'm going to throw. Um, are you you're going out and you're hiring a Salesforce admin, or you're hiring somebody beyond that? Um, in a perfect world, you know, that initial, per so I, you kind of look at it in two ways, right? You have the analyst side and you have the technical side. Um, and, and when you think at scale, usually those are going to be split. You may have a BA team, but you've got somebody 
um, that's an analyst on your team that's responsible for representing the revenue org. Um, but that's at scale. Let's back it up a little bit, right? So the the first hire, if I'm in an early stage company, I want that RevOps person to, to, to have the technical know-how or at least the motivation to learn the technical side because I may not need anything that intense, but if somebody can navigate those and is willing to learn, you know, do the Salesforce trailheads, do the HubSpot um, uh, trainings and, and, and the like. And, and now SalesLoft and the others are, are, are coming out with some of these. But um, uh, if you're able to navigate those different systems and you've got a, a, a strong eye on the analytics, that's kind of the best of both worlds for that initial hire. Um, when you get at scale, that's when we're starting to really look at, okay, who has the technical chops to really be able to handle getting the integrations with all of these? How are you working with the BI team in order to, to make sure that we're getting all the, the information that, that, that we need to do? Um, and having the analyst, you know, the analyst, you know, I look at this in a couple different facets. So the analyst could be looking at how we're uh, mapping out the different territories that we've got, uh, you know, the right, the, the territories are equitable, which territories, are, as we know, are, it's, it's almost impossible to get them 100% equitable, but um, they're looking for discrepancies in the data. You know, I, I think a, <laughs> a good RevOps person should be able to see, it's like, hey, just want to let you know, we've got an issue here in how this data is being collected. Or, you know, looking at on the worst case, they caught a rep that's essentially um, uh, inflating their numbers by taking advantage of some loophole in the system. So somebody that's looking at that monitoring and calling it out, looking at where we can improve um, in the numbers. So for instance, say, hey, you know, we, we see that there's a big dip in our um, demo schedule to demos held. Uh, you know, I can look at that, but I, am I going to be focused on it 24-7? No. As the leader, you're you're recruiting, you're coaching, you're training, you're looking at the next um, uh, area uh, that you're going to, to bring the company and, and expand the product. So having somebody that's, that's, that has an eagle eye for that is, is extremely valuable. Now, do you think about the RevOps person being a mark, uh, uh, sales function or marketing function or both or neither? I like RevOps as its own org and they support the different functions within the revenue org. So, uh, and depending on the company, but real, even if, even if the C, typically the, the RevOps function will, will, will go up to the CRO, but, or, you know, and, and oftentimes you could see it in the head of sales or marketing, um, and sometimes customer success as well. But to me, that org supports everybody equally. Um, and, uh, and if they're not putting different pieces in that org, but I think it's tough if it, it is tough if it reports to any one org because the reality, and a lot of times it does, and a lot of times it's happened in, in orgs that I've been a part of. Um, but uh, whatever, however that executive is compensated, you can almost guarantee that that RevOps team is going to be giving more, getting more attention on their projects. It almost always happens. How are, how are RevOps, you know, when you get to a spot, you have a RevOps team, how are they typically compensated? I would say, okay, no, go ahead. Yeah, I would say what's typical is um, what's typical is they're compensated just a base salary and 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 whatever some some sort of uh, bonus off of hitting certain metrics. Where I think it should be uh, going is I don't think that you're going to see it. I I don't know that it makes sense to do what's traditional, you know, for a sales executive at fifty fifty. 
50% base, 50% variable, um, which that's leaning more towards 60-40, which I think is smart. Um, and, uh, but I think it shouldn't be, you know, 90-10. I think it should be something more, you know, 70-30, 80-20 based off of uh, the team hitting their goals. They should be aligned with with the team, the company, with and the their goals. numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know you're seeing a lot of these kind of, um, you know, RevOps service businesses kind of kind of prop up. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think about those? And are there any are there any RevOps kind of as a ser- or service businesses that you've worked with or know of that you think do good work? I've never worked with them. Candidly, we we at Flash Growth are getting into this into this business um, in particular because I think it's a I here's the deal, I, especially for an early stage company. You know, if you're going to go out I and mean, just look at the cost, one Salesforce admins, let's just let's use Salesforce as an easy example. A Salesforce admin is going to cost you at least a hundred thousand. And let's say you get somebody less than a hundred thousand, right? It's not saying it's not possible. It's totally possible. How long are they going to be with you for before that they go jump? Probably not that long. You're going to have to bump their, their comp up. Now, don't get me wrong. There's all sorts of other things. They may love the culture, they may love the people, they could have equity within the company. It could be so many different things that can keep them there, which is an entirely different topic. But uh, but you're not gonna keep, if, if, if you're looking at, at apples to apples, somebody else will pay them that amount of money, especially right now in this market. So you're paying at least 100,000 for that. Um, and if you're an early company, that's a that's a big investment to to make. And it's not to say that that that, that it won't be valuable, uh, but you don't necessarily know. So I I love the the RevOps as a service. That's not again that's that's I wouldn't say that's going to be a core part of our offering, but it does align pretty pretty well with the fractional executive um, model that, that that we do. Yeah, no, for sure. It's it's hard to run a uh, it's hard to run a sales organization without having everything wired up, you know, with, exactly all the, right. with all the technology, not having every, not having all the reporting, uh, you know, going into one, you know, one dashboard or one view, it's super difficult. All right. You got me on, you're going to get me on a different topic here, but this it, is kind of a good opening for it. So it's, it's, to me, it's so important for two reasons. One, um, I think so often in orgs, People um, will put pressure onto the salesperson or the sales leader to not only be a good recruiter, developer, uh, have an eye for the market to give good feedback to product and everything else, but they also want them to be the RevOps person themselves. They think that that should be on the manager to manage all of the uh, the different pieces in that. Um, and in early stage, sure, but then again, this gets back to you shouldn't have a, a ahead of sales at the, at too early of a stage. Um, and, and one of the big things is, is having the forecasting in the financial modeling, um, on the shoulders of the sales executive. Um, that I think is a really big one. I think that the executive, if you think of like what makes a great CRO, what makes a great VP of sales, it, it is the ability to be able to say what we what do we need in order to capture this market. Um, I think that uh, whether that comes from you know the financial department or whatever that may be, giving them kind of that extra support and help around that so they can focus more on what they do best. Right. That's that's something I think I'm pretty passionate about. 
Yeah. Awesome. No, I think that's, I think that's great. And I think it's a real, I mean, I think you're just going to continue to see RevOps um, as a service in organizations get bigger and bigger. I mean, there's just so many tools and so many, so many insights um, that can be drawn from, from being able to get access to the data and get it in a way you can view it and make sense of it. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. All right. Well, well, awesome. Well, Callan, this was a great, this was a great 30 minutes. Um, is there anything you really wanted me to ask you that I just totally whiffed on? No, I, I don't, I don't think so. Um, you know, I think, uh, I, I love, I love the questions that, that, that you did ask. I think you're hitting on, you know, these are some of the biggest topics that are, that are out there right now. I think, you know, some of the ones that are going to be interesting that I don't have necessarily a good pulse on that I'm curious about is quota versus no quota within sales reps. Um, but uh, uh, it'd be it'd be cool to see where these things all play out. But it's fun to be a part of. Yeah, I, I know. that. Well, this is one I've covered this probably in the last, you know, six episodes. I was asked people, you know, I think there's a real push towards. So like I saw a post this morning, um, a guy named Steve Schmidt said that, uh, Hey, the, the B2C influencer world's here. He's paying Scott. Um, I can't remember, uh, lease $2,500 to do social posts. And, um, he basically was saying like, Hey, B2C is coming to, to B2B. And then one guy made a really good, what I thought was a really good point. He says, Hey, I don't know that that's going to work the same in B2B because you don't have the impulse. It's not an impulse buy. So when somebody, in the B2C world does a, like a, like an Instagram post or they do like, there's an, it's like a direct ad, right? I, and you can immediately go get the tennis shoes. You can immediately go get the, and there's this huge, there's a huge push towards, um, you know, what the, that buyers want a B2C experience. And I think they do, but I think there's some danger here is that, um, this is my, and you're totally welcome to disagree with this. As a buyer, there's a lot of stuff that really annoys me um, that salespeople do, but it doesn't affect my buying position. I'm just annoyed. It's just annoying. Like, or I'll give you another example. My car, when I get in it, the Wi-Fi has got like a thousand kids' cell phones hooked up to it, and every time I get in the car, it just like throws the audio all over the like all over the place. And anybody that I know is in business has the same problem. But I don't know that that issue is so big of an issue that somebody would go solve. So you can be annoyed with something and not have it be a bit like, and I think this, the point of that story is when it comes to buyers, just because a buyer, I think you do need to pay attention to what buyers like. But you also have to pay attention to the um, environment. And I just don't, though there are some things in the B2C that are going to come to B2B, I just don't think we're going to see million dollar purchases made with one click you know, Netflix buys. I mean, I don't see it, but I, I'm open. I don't, I don't disagree. Um, what it, here's the things that I think it does do. Um, so this is, this gets, this, this could easily dovetail into the whole product led growth movement. Right. And um, product led growth uh, and so many people pumped it up. It's like, you know, if, if we do product led growth and VCs are pumping and everything else, and then you go to try it. And that so depends on your industry to be able to do that in B2B. If you're selling to more kind of legacy industries and you're trying to get people to, to go on and, uh, and self-checkout and onboard themselves, 
that is so, 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 so hard to do. And almost, it almost um, um, falls right on its head almost every time. Not to say all cases, but many. So I only say that from the standpoint of where some B2C aspects will, right? But it's not like anything, putting out content isn't anything new. Um, and influencers will have to remain, if they don't back the right products and those products don't consistently result in a successful outcome, then they're damaging their brand, right? Um, so, um, but I, but I tend to agree because there is more, a million dollar enterprise deal getting bought on a whim. No, do but on the flip side, do I think that, um, you know, somebody that they, they trust that's out there that, you know, they're, they're a fan of that person. Could that cause them to look 100%. at it? No. Yeah, yeah. exactly. 100%. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. No, I just think it's an interesting concept. I mean, um, Jen Allen, who I had on the show, um, several months ago who works for a challenger, um, a challenger sale and CEB. Yeah. Um, she said, Hey, the buying table is getting larger, not smaller. So there's more people getting involved in purchases, not less. And yeah. I think that, you know, there's a, there's a real, uh, I think there's a real concern. Here's what I, um, there's a real concern in the sales community. I think that somehow salespeople are going to get replaced. But as you mentioned with product led growth, and I'm going to use a fat, I'm going to use a couple of yeah. fast food restaurants. There is a reason why Chick-fil-A, Culver's, and if you're a Midwest guy, you probably have a Mike's car wash. There's a reason why, or a cruise, there's a reason yeah, yeah. why they have people out there greeting you and doing what they're doing. And there's a reason why the lines are wrapped around the buildings when you see people. People actually like that. I might tell you uh, I don't like it. Like I really right. just want my order. But the reality is my purchasing behavior is opposite. Where there are people, there are lines. Everywhere you go, like if you show me, meaning like Chick-fil-A, they got a hundred kids sitting out in the parking lot so bad that um, I wrecked my car in the parking lot and I was super mad. And I just wanted a, uh, I, I wanted a milkshake. I was running late for a podcast. Uh, I tried to go through the milk, they go through the line. This is a really funny story. I need, I want a milkshake. I'm running, like I have enough time to do it, but it's kind of tight. I'm like, I'm going to roll the dice. So I get my milkshake. And I'm going through the line. It's the summer. And there's a bunch of there's they put up a tent at the Chick-fil-A by my house. And what happens is this kid comes off the curb. And he he came off in a way that now my truck is like angled, kind of goofy going into the chutes. And we have like this particular Chick-fil-A has like highway grade barriers. <laughs> Yeah, I know. You know, like, not, not any, like no pool noodles, no like nothing over the top of these things to like protect your car. And they're just beat to snot, right? Because people are just like rolling oh, yeah. over the top. So when he comes off the side of this, um, off the curb, he sort of forces me into this shoot in just a weird way. Like it was just hard for my truck to get around. So all of a sudden I hear this like right down the side of my, right down the side of my truck. And That's I'm like, worst. oh my gosh, like. And so the, I'm like, hey, man, can you give me a minute? He's like, I really just need you to order your milkshake. I'm like, oh, dude, I just have, I have like a 10-foot scratch on the side of my truck. Can you just like give me a second? And he's like, I really just like need you to order this milkshake. So I'm laughing because I'm like, this is a, you know, 60, this is a 16-year-old kid making $14 an hour. And he's just like trying to check off the box. So anyways, I end up getting the manager out there and he's like, 
yeah, you know, you got you got this scratch. He's like, you'll have to call, which is hysterical. He's like, you'll have to call our insurance company and they'll tell you whether you can, uh, whether they'll cover it. I'm like, okay. So I called the insurance what? company. Oh, good, sorry. And I said, hey, look, here's the deal. Call the lady. I said, I hit this. I hit this. But your guy, create the, the Chick-fil-A guy created an environment that made it possible for me to hit it. Had he not come off the curb, and, and, and move my car to the right, I would not have, because I've gone through this drive-through for five years. I've never hit one of these industrial grade things. So your guy created an environment that made me hit this. So she's like, yeah, yeah, I got you. Okay, we'll, we'll review the tape. So she calls me back like four days later. I didn't get it. And she leaves on the voice message. Hey, um, we reviewed the tape. You hit it. We're not going to cover it. I'm like, I know that's what I said. So I called back and called back and called back. Nobody ever answered my phone. What I really wanted is I just wanted free... Um, milkshakes like i didn't really care about the scratch as much as i just wanted <laughs> <with you pods. laughs> uh you know it's you know it's the best part about the story that you just mentioned um is that it, in insurance right it, this is such a good example if you look at geico and progressive you see more ads for them than anybody out there right you in yep. nationwide too um and uh they made a huge push and great gained a lot of market share going direct to consumer well the trend is now going back to agents because people wanted more of a uh, of a one to one experience. Now, the key is, and I, I'd argue this is exactly the same key in any sales, is you still need to match the digital experience and make it easy to yeah. work with you. Um, and that's kind of the key difference. But well, that is no, I think that. that's the key, right? It's like you need to have. I don't know. Do you think about that as optionality? Or do you think, like, how do you think about that? Like, you need to have the option to do it yourself if you want? Or like... I, um, I think that's a piece of it. I think you have to look at, I think you really need to break down all of that, right? So, for example, I've got um, uh, I've got a, a client that, and we, we started generating um, leads purely coming from uh, paid search, right? Well, that's one way. But we also, this is a very, uh, the niche in particular is going, uh, well, working with real estate investors. So that's very much going, um, you know, to the source, right? They're networking, they're face-to-face people. So um, yeah, in that scenario, it's definitely optionality, right? You need to make it easy, whether they somebody wants to do a Google search and find you and work digitally, or whether somebody wants to meet you face-to-face, um, you, you have to meet the experience that somebody that's pumping billions of dollars into their experience are doing. And there's yeah. more vendors coming out to support those networks than ever before. And the salespeople need to not only this gets into challenger to the T, right? They need to be experts on their client's business. And if they're not, then why would you not? Why would you not go right. direct to consumer? If I'm going to get the same experience, probably a little bit easier to use by going direct, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, Unless I've got some a reason to go to this person, they provided a good experience and are experts. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think you talk about car dealerships. So, like, I I, I ended up I bought that several years ago. I I bought a used Tahoe. Um, I hadn't bought a used car um, before. I had some questions about the mileage. Um, when I got to the dealership, the the guy was selling me as if I was buying on price. But the things that I were really concerned about, he didn't know the answers to. So, like, what I, here's the stuff that I was as the buyer, I was interested in how many miles do you think I can drive this? Like, you know, I've got a friend that's got $300,000 on it or 300,000 miles on his Tahoe. You think this thing can get to 300,000 miles? 
He's like, I don't know. It's got 96,000 on it. I'm like, I know. That's why I'm asking this question. <laughs> you know, like it was just the, the, the stuff that I, the stuff that I was trying to get from him, like it wouldn't have been hard for him to know his product. Right. Um, totally. And, uh, you know, just not, you know, not knowing, you know, not knowing the product and not trying to, you know, trying to really understand what it was that I was, you know, that I was concerned about, but um, no, but I think that's a great insight that you've got to match the uh, that you've got to match the experience. It's definitely an interesting, you know, selling is different in ways than it's ever been before. It's also the same in ways that it's ever been. You know, some of the things are consistent. Um, I definitely think that. I mean, ultimately. People want security. So whether that's security in their answers, right? So whether that's having a person there or whether that's, um, you know, having a, a piece of technology that helps them answer their questions. I think, I think you're right that you have to match that um, for, for sure. Um, so anyways, in, in, those are great topics. It's super, super interesting. I just have really been scratching my head on how, how fascinating I think it is that like, Chick-fil-A, Culver's, Mike's Car Wash. The three things they all have in common is they got people standing in the parking lot and they got lines wrapped around the buildings. Um, I, it's so true. Um, and and I again, I think you're seeing this. I think there was this huge push. And my guess is this tide will change some point. I, you know, in the early stages in the insurance space, everyone thought you got to go direct to consumer. You can't compete. Um, you got to cut out the agent and, and we were actually, you know, we were on the agent side Now I've worked for companies that purely supported the direct consumer channel, but, um, but, uh, but the agent, people want that advice. They want to trust somebody. They just don't want to do it how they used to do it. Yeah. And that's the big piece, right? Um, so making it easy to work with using things like loom, using things like, yeah. uh, you know, loom or zoom or. Uh, because people are busy, right? Especially, right. When, especially in this environment, working from home, kids, everything else. Like it's, it's, it's tough. You got a lot more on your plate than you probably did before. Well, uh, well, I, th I think what you get into here is like, th when I think about the fast food, I'm going to think about these. I think you just have to be real. Here's where I'm going with this. I think you have to be really careful listening to what people say. Agreed. Because people will tell you the opposite of what they, what they do. Like they're con people are a constant contradiction. So I think, you know, um, when I listen to people on the Internet really talk about like, hey, this, you know, we need to make the the you know, we need to make our software purchasing just like, you know, just like Netflix. And we need to remove the salesperson. We need. OK, people might say that. But is that really like I would like to go to Chick-fil-A and not see a person. But why do I keep going through the drive through? <laughs> why? I, mean, oh, I can so order it on my. I can literally count. I can order it on my phone. Yeah, I don't have to do yeah, it. But why do I keep going through the drive thru Is it a habit? I must like it. You know, people do what they want to do. It's like your kids. If your kids don't want to take out the trash, what do they do? Yeah, I, I and, and for sure. And the 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 thing that I'd say is, it's not the product led growth. I'm going back to that because that's. Really but it's all the character, same right? thing, but, right? I mean, it's all it's all it's all it's it's similar. It's all similar. The it, not that I don't think that it has a place. And I do think that if you're going to be a well-rounded um, uh, sales leader or chief revenue officer, you better understand it. Um, and, and, and you should, you should test to see how it, how it can work. 
but I agree with you wholeheartedly in that um, we're, I don't believe at all that we're in this stage where it's, you have to do product-led growth or, or you know, your company's not worth anything. And I think that's the message that's being stated. But if you look at the companies that are getting acquired, um, they're not all product-led growth companies, that is for sure. Um, and most of the big sales are coming in really traditional enterprise sales. It's no different. The only thing that's different is what we don't know or is business travel going to be the same as what it was. That's the only thing that we don't right. know that's changed in enterprise sales, period. Right. Um, I think the other thing, other big mistake people make just in general from observation is that we, it, it's um, particularly for guys. And I'm going to use I'm going to use an example. You know, most women, like most guys, if you ask them, you know, like, like I'll hear my, the wife will come home and say, you know, change the baby, get the milk. And the husband just says milk, 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 like in his mind, he can't even remember what she, the other thing she asked him. She, all he remembers is like the one, the one thing. So he gets yeah, yeah. the, he gets the milk and she's like, did you change the baby? He's like, I didn't hear the baby. I just heard the milk part. So I think it's natural for us to have one, like it's easy for us to focus on one thing and we want to solve our problems by focusing on one thing. But the reality is if you're going to build a sales organization or any business that has um, any value, there's multiple, there's either multiple products or there's multiple channels. And the same thing goes for a sales organization is that though it's easy to focus on you know, one thing, and we like to think about focus as being a singular item. In order for something to succeed, you have to do multiple things. You know, there, like people who have real wealth have multiple, you know, when you look at the data, have, they have multiple streams of income. When you look at successful businesses, they have multiple streams of income. When you look at successful sales teams, they have multiple sources of uh, income. They got multiple sources of lead gen. It's not a one focus. It's not a one thing. Right. No, that's it's. It, I completely, completely agree with that, and and we see it all the time, right? And I've and I've been guilty of being on the other side of that, where it's you know it's only cold calling. We're only doing cold calling, but um, if uh, you know if there's a, a storm and you can't cold call because no one's in the office, and you know we saw all this happen in the first stage of COVID, and then it went back to normal. But um, um, you know, was I too reliant on it? Probably. And that's on me. That's on me for not um, uh, diversifying what, I, what I'm doing. Is it all, what, at, that, at that company, was it always going to be the foundation? No doubt. Um, but I needed, to, I needed to, to branch out and do other things to, to, to drive in business. So um, I've been, certainly been guilty of it. Yeah, well, it's easy to. I bring up the thing about being male because it's easy to focus. It's easy to focus on one thing, right? It's your, it's... Oh, yeah. Well, I'm the worst for sure. So. <laughs> uh, well, well, man, this was great. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. As always, uh, if you want more information on the podcast, go to monsterconnect.com forward slash podcast. Uh, you can get last season's, uh, last year's episodes. You can get all the new episodes for this year. And as always, remember, don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can. Until next time. Peace.